week with Ben Ellis. This is Switch. National Lockdown 3 has dominated the headlines this week. Well, in the UK it has anyway. Cases spiralling out of control, a record number of daily deaths, the NHS at breaking points, schools open for 24 hours, then closed, three vaccines now approved, which I suppose is the good news. We'll be joined by Labour MP for Sully Oak, Steve McCabe, to go through it all today. On Wednesday, the world watched in horror as Donald Trump supporters stormed the Capitol building in Washington in what's been described as an act of insurrection, with the president himself widely accused of inciting the violence. Five people lost their lives, let's not forget as well. We'll be talking with a friend of the show, Rich Payne, from across the pond with Rich and Soph, all the way from Pennsylvania. And another great local artist will be showcased with us again here on the show. Eliza May has been chatting with Fiona Douglas and she'll be performing for us too. All this and more on The Week with me, Ben Ellis, right here on Switch Radio. The Week with Ben Ellis. This is Switch. Now, as we all know, we are now in our third national lockdown. It's mainly due to the new variants of coronavirus, which has seen an extraordinary spike in cases and as we've unfortunately seen uh, this week the number of deaths you may have been uh, watching the coverage of the debate in parliament this week where members were um, going through the formality effectively of uh, rubber stamping the prime minister's uh, lockdown one question was asked by uh, one of our own members of parliament the birmingham uh, mp for selio for labor uh, steve mccabe who joins me on the line right now mr mccabe hello Hi, Ben. How are you? Uh, I'm, uh, as I say, uh, it, it could be a lot worse, as uh, we'll, uh, we'll we'll talk about Absolutely. during the during the. We'll come on to you know, the specifics of of your question uh, as we go along. But uh, first of all, um, processes have to be uh, gone through, and this is not something. Um, because the motion was passed to approve the lockdown overwhelmingly, this is not something you can play politics with, is it? Well, no, I don't think you can play politics with it at all. As you say, the, you know, uh, uh, about 77,000 people at least have now lost their life in this country. The highest figure in Europe, uh, 1,000 deaths recorded uh, yesterday, I think it was. Um, No, you can't play politics at all. I mean, I do think there have been two fundamental mistakes with the government's response. I think the, the first uh, thing is they've been far too slow at every stage and I think it was obvious before Christmas that something like the restrictions the lockdown we're now facing was inevitable and I think to de- delay it was a, a dreadful mistake. I think the other thing is the tiering system and the confusion over what you can do and what you can't do and what you can do in some places and not in others has been a shambles Uh, And I think it it would have been much better to have one system for everybody. Uh, And I think by pretending that they could ease restrictions and that, you know, this thing would respect borders, I think they were kidding themselves. Well, let me just ask you sort of uh, a two part question uh, regarding that. Uh, The the delays to taking action, uh, which uh, is, is largely been criticised across the board for the government, but frustrating as well is that this is the third time this has happened. So it's not as if uh, we didn't know this was coming and uh, we, we were warned all the way through. Also, geographically, the only part of Europe that this uh, thing could hit is Ireland after uh, Britain. And, and for two, three, four weeks at the first time round uh, and in November, and now what we're seeing with, with the new variant as well, we know what's coming. It didn't hit Britain first. So it would be nice, uh, Mr McCabe, wouldn't it, if we had um, a, a government or an administration that was proactive and and to actually um, have things in place be- before uh, b- before they happened. Um, the, the second part of uh, my question as far as that's concerned is um do you think and, and i've accused um the prime minister of this on, on this program before christmas do you think boris johnson suffers from uh, a, a trait where he is terrified of at first telling the british public what he thinks they don't want to hear 
And they'll try and put something in place where, oh, we'll have a tiered system. You'll be able to do some things. Uh, but in the end, we're, we're going to have to go back on that because it isn't really possible. You can have five days over Christmas and all that. Actually, we've had to, um, that's had to go uh, to, to just one day. The British people and, and the British people historically have proven this through general election results, if nothing else, uh, go, going along the line, is that they do not, like to feel like they've been hoodwinked over anything and if they'd have just been up front straight ahead and said no this is what's happening we're going to lock it down the term circuit breaker was used in the autumn by uh, your leader Sakir Starmer that surely would have gone gone down so much better with the public well absolutely and both counts let, let me take the first thing about the the early warning or the the slow slowness to act. Um, I think I think that we've witnessed the government really wrestling with a, a dilemma here. Now, I, I don't pretend this would be easy for any government, and we can see governments in other parts of the world and across Europe are struggling also. But I think the government's inability to resolve the tension between the economy and protecting lives has been at the center of their difficulties. So we saw the Eat Out to Help Out initiative, which was exclusively an economic initiative, but actually disregarded the likely health consequences and therefore the contradiction. I pick on that because that's writ large. There's the government dishing out money, trying to stimulate the economy, but simultaneously exposing a higher level of risk for people. And that I think shows the contradiction and it's most acute. So I think it's wrestled with this throughout. We've seen uh, this, this problem of, you know, shutting down some businesses, but not other businesses. Now, I don't, for a second, pretend that the economy isn't important. I mean, here in Birmingham in the West Midlands, we're about to see our hospitality sector virtually wiped out if something isn't done. Uh, and, there, you know, there is a price to pay for every day a place is closed and the government is having to subsidise it. But I think, I think that they should have made an early decision about how much support they were going to give to the economy, give to people who couldn't do their jobs, give to businesses that couldn't operate, and they should have stuck to that. This toing and froing, I think, has made things uh, much more uh, difficult. Uh, and, you know, I think... The, I think it's clear that within the cabinet, there have been splits on this. And so sometimes they're following government, they're following scientific advice, they're following public health advice, and sometimes they're following economic arguments. And I think it's clear we've seen there's some splits between the health secretary and the, the chancellor on this issue, a bit of a divided cabinet on the issue. And I think, you know, that that is if I come round to your second point, that is fundamentally an issue about leadership. Someone needs to take charge in those uh, circumstances because it is a genuine dilemma. We cannot afford to close down the economy indefinitely, but the stop-go policy has made things worse rather than better. It's not helped the economy, it's not helped businesses, nor has it helped get the virus under control. And the the constant inability to make those hard choices and decisions, I believe, has made it worse. So we've we've accepted scientific evidence when it's been convenient. We've ignored it when it hasn't suited the economic argument. Then we've been driven to accept it when the, the crisis has uh, exploded out of control. And that's what happened immediately after Christmas. In terms of the, the Prime Minister himself, uh, again, I acknowledge that this would be difficult for anyone. This is, uh, as people have said, this is unprecedented. It's an exceedingly difficult problem to deal with. But I think it has raised real issues about the character of the Prime Minister. I think this is a time to have someone in charge who is decisive. I think it's a time to have someone in charge who can deliver difficult and hard messages. He's supposed to be an enormous fan of Winston Churchill. Well, Churchill's 
great strength was his ability to do what had to be done, no matter how unpalatable. What we've seen is the Prime Minister looks out of his depth. Uh, he doesn't seem to be comfortable delivering difficult messages. He appears to be someone who needs to be liked. Uh, uh, frankly, you know, being liked, I would think, is the, the least of your considerations in the, the current uh, situation. We, I mean, this is a man who doesn't have a great history in leadership. I mean, he, he has been sacked from previous jobs. His major role was to be a columnist in the past. That's someone who can say one thing today and another thing tomorrow. Not exactly uh, a track record of, of uh, leadership. Um, and I, I honestly think that having been prime minister for so, such a short period of time, having been prime minister um, in the circumstances in which he became prime minister because of a kind of feud within his own party and the, the, the need for somebody to say what people wanted to hear about Brexit. I, I think he inherited the role in quite difficult circumstances. Uh, obviously, he did win an election. He won it very decisively, but he won it on a very single issue, saying what people wanted to hear against an opposition leader who, you know, I know not everyone will want me to say this, but who the polls showed was not popular. And I think the, the election result uh, supported. So, so I think we have an untried, untested prime minister faced with an enormous uh, difficult situation. And I think his leadership skills are being really thrown into question. He doesn't seem able to make up his own mind, to make it up quickly enough to re resolve the differences within his own cabinet, to set a, a settled course and pursue it come what may. And, you know, I mean, I, I don't know if it's too late for him, but if he was to do anything, he should go back and read some Churchill and actually learn what it is to manage a crisis because he doesn't, in my judgment, I'm sorry to say this, uh, I don't say this for any party political reason, I can assure you. I, I think we need to pull together as much as possible. But you need leadership in a crisis, and I don't think we're getting it. Just to b balance that up, though, um, at least like other, other parts of the world, um, we obviously don't need to say where because that's been a big enough story this week, but at least he hasn't denied the issue. Um, and, uh, you know, you might not appreciate the way he's handled it, but he's not just said it will go away so i think um for, for that we we could we could give him some some credit come to your question to the prime well, minister i certainly wouldn't want to compare him to someone who's on the way out well, well we, <laughs> we, 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 the quicker the better well we may come to that um your question uh, the other week the other the other day in parliament and we've gone the long way around to getting here but but it was about what the government's plans are uh, to uh, help the ever-growing homeless issue particularly in birmingham as well uh, and um the wording, the wording, I went back to Hansard to, to look at exactly at what your wording was uh, for this, and we, we played the clip as well. Uh, you talked about the fact that it, it is now winter, the weather's getting colder, it's particularly cold this week, uh, as we know. Um, things were done during the first lockdown, it was the spring. Uh, technically, it, it, it's easier because the weather's nicer. But my, my question, Mr. McCabe, is is, is it a, a case where the weather shouldn't be a factor in tackling the homeless or a pandemic or anything like that. It's, these are things that should be being done. No, I mean, you're absolutely right. The, the weather uh, shouldn't uh, be a factor. And of course, uh, people die uh, on the street, even during good weather, uh, for a variety of reasons. I, I, I mean, I was simply making the point that uh, if we were prepared to take that initiative back in March when the weather was uh, much better and we were coming into the spring, then all the more argument for repeating it now as we're in the heart uh, of winter, that was really my fundamental point. And of course, I mean, the other thing we actually know is that the, the virus itself thrives in cold environments. So all the more reason to get people off the, the streets to reduce the, the risk of transmission. Uh, but no, I don't think the, the time or year or the weather should be a factor. The factor should be that there's something wrong 
with uh, a country, I mean, what are we, the sixth uh, largest economy, there's something wrong with a country that, that, that has so many people uh, on the streets, that has so many people homeless. I mean, I think uh, the, the figures for who are actually on the streets, I think, are actually quite difficult. Uh, I, as you probably know, they do this kind of once a year, one night, uh, I think it's February time, they do a snapshot. Now, the good news in Birmingham was that the figures were down considerably. I think they only identified 50-odd uh, people. But, I mean, everyone knows it's a snapshot, and, it, you know, it, the underestimate of that snapshot could be anything between four to five times. And, of course, that's only people who are found sleeping on the streets. Uh, you know, if you look at homelessness, which is people who are living in totally unsuitable accommodation. I mean, I, I dealt with a case quite recently. Um, uh, this was a, a woman who'd fled a domestic uh, violence, domestic abuse situation, where uh, she was in a council uh, bed and breakfast uh, supported accommodation, which meant that her three daughters uh, and her, four of them, were sleeping in the one bed in a bed and breakfast. Now, you know, I mean, at a time when we're talking about kids doing online learning because they're not at school, at a time when we're talking about, uh, you know, trying to uh, make sure you get to wash your hands regularly and you maintain bits of social distancing, how can that be uh, an adequate situation? So the problem is homelessness, whether it's people living in entirely inadequate and unsuitable accommodation or people uh, you know freezing on the streets uh, and that's what we need to to tackle it seems to me that that should be a you know I don't want to sound too sanctimonious but that should be a kind of moral obligation. You mentioned schools and uh, they've obviously been in the news this week at the uh, start of the uh, lockdown period it was announced at eight o'clock on Monday night a lot of schools had been open as normal on uh, Monday because um, people in authority had said uh, repeatedly over the weekend that uh, they would be open as as normal. There's a lot of schools uh, in your constituency, Selly Oak, just, just like uh, any other. Um, I'm looking, uh, Mr. McCabe, at starting a, a product, which I'm hoping to get patented and might do well. Uh, it's, it's called the uh, Gavin Williamson Flipbook. And uh, what it is, is it, it's a, a set of uh, phrases that you hear a lot of the time from the education secretary. And uh, then you simply flip the page as to what is actually going to happen. Because I, I, I cannot remember a single time in his time as uh, education secretary where Gavin Williamson has said uh, or, or has done something that he said was going to happen. It's always like the opposite has happened. Um, hopefully, moving forward... Uh, I don't know if you agree, the correct decision has been made, uh, although it's unfortunate that exams won't be able to be sat, that uh, rather than using this algorithm, that the, the, the teacher assessment will become effective. Well, I've said a couple of times that I don't think this would be easy for anyone, but I mean, I, I do have to say the education secretary definitely ends up with a dunce's cap when it comes to uh, to cabinet ministers responding to this crisis. I, I, I can't think of a, a department that's had a poorer response than the, the DFE. And to wait until uh, the night before to tell, you know, head teachers what was required was just ridiculous. Actually, I was on a, a call with uh, head teachers in my constituency earlier today. And I mean, their accounts of the work that they put in over the Christmas and New Year period to try and organise testing, to try and get their online teaching up and running again, to work out what they're going to do for free school meals, from which there has not yet been a response from the DFE. Um, you know, they, they deserve our praise and our gratitude, but they are getting zero when it comes to, to support from the, the education secretary. Uh, uh, I, I don't, look, to be honest, I don't really understand this. I, I, I doubt if anyone does. You would have thought that given what happened last time, then the first thing he would have done in March would have been to set together a group of officials to draw up a contingency plan 
for what should happen if it ha if it occurs again. Uh, that would seem to me just to be common sense. You wouldn't have to be a particular educational genius to work that out. So the factor doesn't seem to be one has got me completely lost. Yes, I agree it was the right decision, but at the wrong time, it could have been made about two or even three weeks earlier. Yes, I agree that exams shouldn't go ahead in the current climate, and I'm glad to see that he's not going to persist with his uh, algorithm that he he doesn't understand, let alone anyone else uh, understanding. The, it does raise an issue, though, about teacher assessments, which I think is quite important, uh, and which the department is going to have to give guidance on. Because we haven't had a normal year's education for young people, what we base the assessment on is going to be much more difficult than it would be in usual years. Under normal years, there'd be a full year of participation in class and course, coursework and assignments on which teachers could make that assessment. That will be much more difficult this year. So we will have to trust teachers to make the best judgments in the interests of our children and we'll have to support them because these will be difficult professional choices without having the full access to information that you might normally get. Uh, absolutely. Uh, just while I've got you uh, on the line, I'll, I'll take advantage of this moment. There was a story uh, locally that broke before Christmas about your and a couple of your uh, colleagues on the Labour Council, uh, your opposition to the proposal to build student accommodation on the site of the old Sainsbury's. Uh, in uh, For the, those who don't know, uh, Selioke, Bristol Road, uh, you always saw the back of uh, Sainsbury's. It was in a, a triangle position uh, at the junction with Oak Tree Lane. Um, what is your exact opposition to this? Yeah, sure. Well, let me just be clear. I, I've got no opposition to students. I have quite a large student population. Well, that, that was my point. That's, it's Student Street, Bristol Road, yeah. effectively, isn't it? Yes. Well, uh, let, me, let me be clear about what my opposition is. I, you know, I have a large student population. I have no objection to students. Uh, although, by definition, students are largely a transient population they see in a community for a brief period of time while they're doing their, their course. Uh, the problem is that we have an excessive concentration of student accommodation in my constituency. And if almost every new build is another bit of student accommodation, it's going to have two effects. One, it's going to reduce the amount of new build that can be applied for other housing purposes. And we were talking earlier about homelessness. You know, there's 16, I think it's 16,000 uh, people on the housing register in Birmingham. So if, if the only thing that gets built as new build is student uh, accommodation, where is the, where's the affordable housing for others coming from? And the reason why developers build student accommodation is because they get the fastest return on that economically and of course there's no council tax to pay so there's no benefit to the wider community on customised student accommodation. The other thing that will happen is if students move from the existing um, uh, HMOs, houses and multiple occupation in Oak, and you said yourself that, you know, Selly Oak, uh, what used to be called Selly Oak Village is now Studentville. Uh, if students move from that to this new built customised accommodation, that means that we'll be left with a whole lot of HMOs, which will simply pass to exempt accommodation. And that's the accommodation that's causing the most problem for homeless people, because it's not supported, it's not well maintained, the landlords have a in many cases have a dubious record and it will encourage ghettoization for people who need our help. So you will end up with problems at both ends. You end up with all new building student accommodation to the exclusion of supported accommodation for everyone and affordable accommodation for everyone else. And you'll end up with a whole plethora of what used to be family homes, but are now HMOs, which will go down market and be exploited by, you know, sometimes very unsuitable landlords. And it's only, I think, a couple of months since the, the local media was running the story 
about the organised gangs who were buying up HMOs in Birmingham, including in uh, Selly Oak, and they were becoming the landlords. So you're talking about, for, the, for those who don't know, you're talking about the, the rows of sort of terraced housing that you would get on uh, Tiverton Road, Hubert Road, um, around near the entrance to the university um, exactly. campus. Is, is, exactly. That's where you're saying. Yes. Right. Un- understood. Understood. Thank you for that. Um, we'll let you go in, in just a moment. A final question is a, a, a one word answer. Uh, yes or no. Should Donald Trump be removed from office? One <laughs> well, word. Yes. One word answer. Yes, he should never have been in. <laughs> well, there we go. That, that, that's a debate for another day. Uh, Steve McCabe, uh, Labour MP for Sally Oak, thank you very much indeed for joining us on the show. Pleasure. Thank you. The Week with Ben Ellis. This is Switch. Right, essentially we don't need to do an intro for this part of the show because the entire world was watching what happened across the pond, so they say, uh, on Wednesday. And uh, we're going to do our part and, and talk about it, review about the uh, uh, the week's news. But uh, w- we thought we would reach across the pond, as they say, to uh, a gentleman you'll hear from in just a moment who's appeared on the show uh, before. He's one half of uh, Across the Pond. Uh, YouTube channel, podcast, uh, one half of Rich and Soph. It is Rich. Rich is with us uh, right now on the show. Hey, Rich. How you doing, buddy? Uh, I, I'm good. Yeah. Um, as I said, the world watched on um, many in horror, actually, uh, at what happened in the capital of the United States uh, on Wednesday. Yes. Um, I, I mean, just you have to try and be objective when you're doing a, a news program. But, but sometimes you think, well, I'm just going to look more foolish than I do already if I if I do that. It's, it's obvious what was going on uh here uh in 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 america yes on uh i agree now i mean if we we take this in in stages uh this isn't Mm -hmm. even being reported now it's been forgotten about because of what happened on wednesday but on Mm -hmm. monday uh released to the press was a phone call of the president for an hour trying to put pressure trying to put pressure on the secretary of state for georgia to find some missing votes Yes, absolutely right. Well, if that's not stealing an election, I don't know what is, quite frankly. And look, I don't I feel like they're ripping this stuff right out of a gangster movie. I don't know. I don't know if I'm watching Goodfellas, Independence Day 4. I don't I don't know. Yeah. Do you know the bit in uh, The Godfather Part 2? (laughs) <laughs> when when Michael realizes it's his brother Fredo that's set him up and he got gets hold of him and he gives him a kiss and he goes, I knew it was you, Fredo. I knew it was you. Mm-hmm. That's what Donald Trump was thinking about Mike Pence. I believe it. Because my, Mike my, I, totally, my, I totally I totally will agree with that. Because Mike Pence, in his ceremonial role as vice president of the United States, uh, was to preside over the uh, certification of the electoral college votes to um, formally declare Joe Biden as the next president of the United States. And all Donald Trump kept saying in the run up to this, he's going to sort it out. He he's our guy. He's going to. My impression is not good, uh, but mm-hmm. he, he's our guy. He's going to swing this around for us. He's a great. If he doesn't, uh, we might have a problem. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Exactly. So it, it, it was fa- it was fairly obvious fairly obvious what was going going on. Trump knew it was going to happen, so he holds a rally in Washington D.C. saying, "I'm going two hours to, before two hours before I'm going to march, or we're going to march down Pennsylvania Avenue on the Capitol. I'll even march down there with you." Guess what? He didn't. He went straight to the mm-hmm. White House and because uh, he knew he, the whole he knew family what, disappeared. Actually, yeah. the whole family disappeared. Yeah, he knew what was going to happen. And, and what happened is uh, is nothing more uh, than an attempted coup. It's uh, insurrection. It's sedition. And for that to be happening in what in, in, for us in Britain is our closest ally, but is what is regarded uh, as um, the, the greatest democracy in the Western world. Uh, mm-hmm. was absolutely shocking how did you mm-hmm. feel as how did you feel as an american watching the coverage unfold i felt like it was a slap in the face for democracy that's how i felt i mean i served eight and a half years in the military i love my country but like i've been watching this is probably like the first election in a long time that i've played paid very very close to um 
And like I said, I didn't vote for Trump, but I gave him the benefit of the doubt in the beginning. You know what I mean? Everybody, mm-hmm. get, you got to give everybody a benefit of the doubt. So to see Rich, this Rich, rhetoric. Rich, Rich, if I may cut in there, though, but do you yeah, not go for it. do you not think, though, that that your feeling of you'll give this guy the benefit of the doubt had a lot to do with the maturity and professionalism of his predecessor who invited him to the White House and says, whatever, whatever happens here, we're going to have a smooth transition. I, I've, even exactly. got a, I've even got a plan for you if there's anything like such a thing like a pandemic. You know, so we've been yeah. working hard on this. Barack Obama we're talking about, if anybody wants 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 to know. Uh, you, you know, it, it wasn't the result Barack Obama wanted. It wasn't the results the Democrats wanted, but they were grown up about it. Mm-mm. And and since yeah, November, and we've, we've seen the complete opposite of that. Complete opposite. And like I've been saying for like the longest that like this man is showing poor sportsmanship, if I may say. You know what I mean? Like bow out gracefully. I mean, everybody, look, there's a lot of us that didn't want him in, in, in office. But guess what? He won fair and square. No one yelled, no one yelled fraud. I mean, he won the same way he lost. Exactly. In the same amount of fashion. Exactly. The election was and carried out no the same way. Looking. The election was carried out the same way every other presidential election has been carried out. So if this election was rigged, then so was the one, sir, that you won. So, um, it, mm-hmm. you know, you can't, you, it's just, it's that kind of, um, oh, I could get into so much trouble here. It, it's that kind of um, sort of rich uh, white boy, get everything my own way. I never lose uh, kind of mentality that, that, you know, he inherited his money from his father. He's not done anything substantial with it. I think he's gone bankrupt five times. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, people like me, people like me don't look, but if you've got, you've got Trump, and okay, Trump, Trump's sort of out there on, on his own. By the way, uh, what what I would say here is, uh, people go, oh, he, he's 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 mentally unstable. He, he he's he's not fit. And he, he please, please, please uh, put that out to anybody who has said that about Donald Trump. Do not excuse his behaviour for things like mental illness. He knew what he was doing. He was in full yeah. capacity of what he of what he was doing and how he's acted over these four years. So and, you know, you no, know, but I don't understand is how everybody's making an excuse for him. <laughs> Have you noticed that? Like everybody yeah. making an excuse for him. No one makes any excuse. Nobody made an excuse for President Obama. Nobody made an excuse for Bush. Nobody made any excuses for them. If they made mistakes, they made mistakes. Mm-hmm. But guess what? Everybody seems to want to make an excuse for Trump. Oh, yeah. he's mentioned. No, he knows exactly what he's doing. Yeah. And he shouldn't get a pass. No. Nope. I mean, like, look, I've never in, in my life would think that the commander in chief would incite a riot. Yeah. And it wasn't like it was planned at 10 in the morning. This has been planned for weeks, not months. Yeah, absolutely. And, th- and this is just speculation from my point there. So if, if anybody wants to uh, accuse me of putting something out there that isn't true, I'll, I'll happily be corrected. But if you think back to what was happening on Wednesday evening, as, as the Trump uh, supporters were storming the Capitol, uh, five people lost their lives. Uh, the whole thing's um, unfolding in the States. I, I believe it unfolded on network television live on, across across all, all the networks. Um, while, while, while this is going on, Joe Biden goes live to say this must stop right now, Mm -hmm. which is what he did. Ten minutes later, a pre-recorded video from Donald Trump in the garden of the White House saying, we love you, we know how you feel, this election was stolen from us, but you got to go home, you got to go home. If that was pre-recorded, at what point in the day was that pre-recorded? He could have recorded recorded that. He could have recorded that at 10 o'clock in the morning before he'd even done his um, speech. Speech. To then uh, send people down Pennsylvania Avenue, and uh, of which he said he'd join them, as we said, and he didn't, and he, he went carrying off to his bunker in in the White House. So um, I, I, I largely get the feeling where m- most people lie, as far as this is concerned. Now that the um, the Georgia runoff 
has resulted in the overall control of the Senate going to uh, the Democrats. It's 50-50 in terms of uh, the, the Senate seats, but the uh, incoming Vice President Kamala Harris um, would always preside over the Senate, so that would make it 51-50 to 50 in favour uh, of uh, yeah, yeah. Democrats. So the, so the Democrats... Breaks the tie. She breaks the tie indeed. The Democrats have control of the House of Representatives. They have control of the Senate. And come January the 20th, they'll have control uh, of the White House. Now, time is short here. And what they're uh, looking at doing is one of two things, uh, impeachment <coughs> proceedings against uh, the president, the, the still current president, or uh, invoking the 25th Amendment, which um, would effectively remove him from office uh, immediately. I mean, you, you watch it every day, Rich, you, you comment on it on your YouTube. Uh, what, what do you think the Americans will do? To be honest, I, I actually think something needs to be done whether if it's the 25th amendment which i don't think that's going to happen because i don't know what president trump has over pence but if pence didn't realize that they were coming for him then i don't know what's wrong because like like they have on the news here you know he ain't even picking up the phone for the 25th amendment so that being said yeah nancy pelosi tried to call him Nancy Pelosi tried to call him, didn't she? For and he was on hold, hanging on for twenty minutes, and he then he didn't he didn't pick up the phone. So yeah, I, I, yeah, right, yeah. So, so you got to do something because the reason why I say that is like anything. If you give this whole chaos a pass, not to say that Biden would do anything like that. Nobody thought that any president would do this, but if you give it a pass, then guess what? You give a green light for any president now till after I'm gone to to do the same. Yeah. And I think that something has to be done. And well, I mean, that that would square with um, uh, Twitter um, banning Donald Trump uh, indefinitely, Mm -hmm. uh, I think, because I know it's it's kind of it's kind of funny in a way that America is always the uh, the beacon of of the right to freedom of speech, um, but in a controlled environment. And 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 Donald Trump was out of control. And when he's out of the White House, uh, if he still has his thumbs available to tweet whatever he wants, it's still um, it's still incendiary, and it's still um, potentially difficult. Can I ask you uh, one further question? As for those who are watching this on video sure. or not watching this, uh, as a black man. Uh, in America, Rich, what do you think the response to the authorities would have been on Wednesday night if it had been a Black Lives Matter protest as opposed to a Trump oh supporters? They, and, and, you know, my slang is a little different than yours, but they'd probably laid us down. I mean, if you're going to have a president throw tear gas on protesters that were protesting Black Lives Matter just to get across the street to take a picture with a Bible in hand, what do you think would have happened if we would have stormed the Capitol? If the minority would have stormed the Capitol? It had been, we we would have had more than five people dead. I trust me on that one. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely you're absolutely right. Um across the pond, uh, Rich and Soph. Um, still all happening and, and, and still all good. We had uh, the interview that you did with Fiona from uh, Switch about, about a month ago. It was it was all good fun. Where are where are you? I, I can see you. I can see like um, your emoji uh, kind of picture behind. Yeah, across yeah, the pond yeah, with yeah. Rich a and little, Soph. A little backdrop. Yeah, yeah. We're slowly but it's slowly but surely we getting there. We try and get where you at. <laughs> well, I've just stolen a picture of a riot on the Capitol behind me, so, <laughs> so so there we are. But no, seriously, Rich, we appreciate the time uh, getting in touch Thank with you. us Thank uh, you. to do this, and uh, I- I'm sure uh, um, speak again. And I-, and I don't mean this in any any um, uh, Charlie, but seriously, God bless America. Yes, yes. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. The week with Ben Ellis. This is Switch. We hope you're enjoying our podcast this week. It's the best of the week with me, Ben Ellis. You can find us wherever you regularly find your podcasts, including Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor, amongst others. And don't forget as well, we're here with a brand new show on Switch Radio across Birmingham this Sunday between 12 and 2, looking back at the biggest stories across Birmingham, Solihull, and further afield from the previous seven days. Handing you over right now to Fiona Douglas. 
the week with Ben Ellis. This is Switch. Okay, thanks very much, Ben. And yes, I have the pleasure today of speaking to a lovely artist from Birmingham. Her, not, her name is Eliza May. She's a Birmingham-based musician. Um, and she, in her bio, she, she describes herself as alternative indie pop. So, good afternoon. How are you, Eliza? I'm doing well, thank you. How about you? I'm good, thank you. Sorry, Eliza May. <laughs> we, just kind of, <laughs> we just kind of um, coined that. that it's From both... a first name basis. Yeah, we are. <laughs> We're that cash now. We've known each other five minutes, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> As you do. Okay, Eliza. Eliza May, I beg your pardon. So, you are a Birmingham-based artist. Welcome yeah. to the show. Now, I see that you've been very busy since your very short but very full career with... Um, some events such as BBC introducing highlighted your track The Fall a couple of times to be honest which is credit to you that's very good um you've also Thank done you. um, Pride in Brighton which must have been an amazing gig OMG and then um you've had some great really prestigious kind of shows where you've been invited to play which is brilliant like live and vibe and yeah most recently um, a little community radio station called Switch Radio <laughs> had you on their <laughs> lockdown and live program. So that that's brilliant. It's really good concept to get people who, you know, artists around Birmingham playing outside their beloved venues that we're really, really missing at the moment. So how did you find all that? Oh, it was incredible. All of the stuff that I've done in my career so far has been amazing. And I'm just so grateful to have even had the opportunities. But Going back to the uh, lockdown uh, video that I did for Switch Radio, that was so much fun. I was walking by the Sunflower Lounge. If anyone hasn't seen the video, please go check out. It was so much fun to film. But um, they, you basically got me walking down the street yeah. singing my song. <laughs> and we stopped outside the Sunflower Lounge and there's some incredible shots. Um, and it just, it was the venue that I really wanted to pick because it's the one that has really meant the most to me throughout my career because yeah. I remember when I first played there I was just playing acoustically on my own and then the last time I got to play there I was actually headlining it with my full band so it was it was amazing. Oh that was my next question what's the what's the highlight of your career so far but you've answered it already. <laughs> now I did know I mean, that's one of them. <laughs> yeah <laughs> well I did notice on that video there was the guy that he kept walking backwards and forwards behind you didn't he? <laughs> Yeah, he must have been really enjoying it because he kept coming back and forth and I was like, what are you doing? I think he just saw what the commotion going on and wanted to make sure he was in shot. So that was quite funny. Yeah, he probably hasn't heard live music in a while as well no, because no. we were in tier three when we shot that. Yeah, exactly. Well, you saying that, I managed to get to a gig in between the two lockdowns and I was so emotional listening to live music again. And it honestly, like, I'm not really quite, you know, I'm not, a very emotional person per se but once that started playing I was quite choked up and I'm not even the artist I'm the one listening to it so I was asking the artists afterwards how they felt about it and they said they were so nervous because they haven't done it for so long but once they started singing it all came flooding back and they just absolutely loved it is that the same for you? Yeah I, I so I basically got to do two gigs in between the first two lockdowns and one was just a gig that I normally would have played anyway at the Canal House because I have um, a residency there and they nice. book me every month and it's really nice to play there. Mm. And that one, just playing that one alone was very overwhelming because all of my friends are there. It kind of felt really normal, even though things are socially distanced and stuff. It just felt yeah. like I was back at home. Aww. And then um, I had the pleasure of playing um, a little festival at Uni of Birmingham. I can't remember which one it was. It, it was in association with um, Vale Fest. I think it was called Lakeside. Um, and it was so much fun because I was playing to an audience my own music and it wasn't like too many covers it was all stuff that I'd written and they really seemed to enjoy it and I was like oh my gosh I've missed being on stage I miss seeing oh people in person it, it was quite overwhelming but in a good way yeah so have you have you managed to be quite creative during lockdown yeah I tried to <laughs> so <laughs> it started off really really well in the first lockdown where I was posting YouTube videos of my covers every single week and then the further I got into lockdown, the more things were like given to me and opportunities I, I found. So the YouTube covers have started to slow down a bit. But um, I'm hoping that this year I can pick it up a bit more. And I've been I've got a few in, in, in the pipeline, just in the back of my Ooh. mind. But um, I've, okay. I've got a lot of editing to do first. <laughs> <laughs> Bless you. So what's it like for you from a creative perspective? 
um because you do write your own material um yeah and it's it is it is as you describe it's indie pop and it is and I, I am an indie chick I must say I'm more indie <laughs> rock than pop but I'm partial to any kind of music and I do love the really not it's very positive and very caring kind of music you know it's all like um yeah. uh whoop, sugar you've got there. <laughs> very heartfelt do you know what I mean so how what's your process when you're writing a song there's so many different processes I go through but <laughs> normally um I'll start off with either a funky guitar like chord progression or I'll solely have like a line or a lyric in my head and I'll be like oh I really need to do something with that and it'll just be stuck in my brain until I jot it down so um, I usually just get my guitar and I try and write down the lyrics and try and come up with a melody that kind of fits the vibe that is in my brain um, and then it, I just kind of let it flow and if if I ever get stuck when I'm like in that writing stage and I only get like a verse or a chorus I just leave it and then come back to it and mm. just see how it goes really but most of the time if it's a good song and, I, and it's really like in the back of my brain then I'll be able to write it out in a session and I'll be obsessed with it for probably about a month or two wow. afterwards <laughs> and then we'll become equally obsessed fantastic <laughs> I think when you were talking about that you were talking about you know it's in your brain you've got to get it out I think that's I, I describe that myself as me talking to myself you know when you, you go over conversations and you're like yeah I wish oh I said gosh. this or I'm gonna say Definitely. it this way or <laughs> so in, uh, from the difference in our two brains is yours is nice and creative and artistic and mine could get me sections so <laughs> <Let's move on. laughs> okay and what was what was it like playing pride at brighton i've been to birmingham pride numerous amount of times love every time i'll go and i'm so gutted that we didn't have it this year i was really looking forward to it um and i've seen some amazing artists there as well and it, it has been a lot of um, it's been really good stepping stone for a lot of local artists so it seems that brighton isn't your natural kind of like a uh, habitat if you like yeah <laughs> i just find it there so i'm obsessed with brighton it's one of the places that i absolutely adore in the oh, uk I love it and too. i oh, it's so nice it's so creative it is yeah but there's such a good atmosphere down there for music in particular and anything creative and I think the first time I went down to Brighton was to actually visit a friend that went to BIM in Brighton Mm -hmm. and um I was just so overwhelmed with how creative and how lovely everyone was there and then um in 2017 one of the modules I did at uni was like a tour module and uh, I went back to Brighton then so every chance I've had I've gone back to Brighton and I was really really lucky when it came to Pride because I sent them an email being like hey I'd really love to play like if you've got any slots please 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 let me play <laughs> and uh, they came back to me I kind of forgot that I'd sent them the email because this was around like maybe like January February March time in 2018 yeah. I was like mm-hmm. August is a long way away I'm probably not going to hear anything back but at least I've put my like name in the bag um and then I got an email about May time May May June time mm-hmm. saying oh we'd really like to have you perform on the women's performance stage um and it was it was incredible it was like an acoustic little stage and it was me and my drummer at the time um Jacob Biddle he's an incredible drummer Um, we got to play shout out to Jacob (laughs) because he deserves so much more credit than he's getting at the moment (laughs) but um he um he and I went down to Brighton he's actually from Cornwall um and I am from Birmingham so it was a long travel yeah, it was, to get it? there. <laughs> yeah, we stayed with a friend and it was just the best weekend because I turned 21 that weekend. It was, I got to play my, my music at one of the first ones I've been dreaming of playing. It was, it was so amazing. And the crowd was so lovely. And in that tent in particular, they all appreciate live music so much. Mm. And everyone was sat down on the floor or like standing and like waving. It was, it was just so much fun. Oh, it's sad. Oh, you're making me miss it even more now. That's so I miss fun. it. <laughs> oh such a heavy heart um but yeah I love I love Brighton as well probably obviously you've 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 tuned into the creative side of the people in Brighton um I first I mean it's not my interview I know but I'm going to tell you anyway Um, (laughs) go for it (laughs) I love Brighton you know um the film Quadrophenia yeah there's um, you're probably a bit too young but you know if you do the soundtrack (laughs) yeah you've heard of it Um, but they do part of the filming in Brighton in one of the big hotels on the seafront and um when I I had the chance to go down I visited a friend who lives in Greater London we went there for the day and just got this amazing vibe off the whole place I love the fact that they've got all the bars and restaurants in the back of the seawall and just so yeah it just really like it really gave 
touched my heart, let's say, but it did really, really like have an influence on me. And I just absolutely loved it. And I got a photograph outside um, the hotel by the railings where uh, all the mods scooters were. So I was pleased with myself. <laughs> I was like, oh, look at this. But yeah, I haven't had the chance to go back, unfortunately, but I will. Oh, I will no. one day, Brighton. Yes. We are coming. We, we are coming. Do. Yeah, we're going to get road trip. <laughs> I'm going to get Jacob <laughs> from Cornwall, meet you there, okay? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be fantastic. So what have you got coming up in the pipeline? What's going on with Eliza May? Oh, there's so much just sitting there. So to start off, for the last year, I've been working on my second EP. And originally the plan was, before all the lockdowns and everything, I was rehearsing with my band. Um, and then we were going to go straight into the studio and record. It wouldn't have come out last year. But as soon as lockdown hit that was mm. the exact moment when we'd stopped rehearsing so we were ready to record and my band knew all of the parts yeah so I thought you know what because you know you guys know the parts and stuff let's do it remotely and since March we've been sending the logic file with all of the tracking back and forth um, and we've managed to get four of the songs out of the five on the EP done now and so this month my goal is hopefully to have the whole EP recorded how I want it oh, um, fantastic so far it's sounding incredible and I can't wait to like just put it out there but I just I need it to sound 10 out of 10 instead of like oh. 7 out of 10 where it currently is because we don't have oh, that last okay. time <laughs> but that's, that's the main thing yeah because it's your it's your baby really isn't it so you know it has to yeah. be perfect is that what you like with every kind of channel of, of being an artist you know do you have to have it perfect like I mean I suppose live it's a bit hit and miss sometimes isn't it but you know everyone strives for 10 out of 10 obviously um definitely you know and we've not been able to get 10 out of 10 during lockdown it's been very difficult and a lot of people we've all had to adapt and learn new skills about file transfers and all sorts so yeah (laughs) but uh, that you've learned over lockdown which you think wow I wouldn't have done this if um if we hadn't you know been been locked down all this time is there anything that you think I'm really proud of that and I'm going to take that with me even when we're outside lockdown yeah definitely I think so because we've been inside all the time I really love videography and like being creative and like Final Cut Pro I use that to edit all of my videos and stuff on YouTube and uh, I realized that I didn't actually have a lot of the equipment that I probably needed to make a really really good YouTube video um, so a lot of the time the lighting is just a natural light or like the light bulb that's in, in, the, in the ceiling <laughs> yeah. um, but at Christmas I managed to get a ring light and I'm slowly starting to build up my like kit because my skills I've been trying to like edit as much as possible and mm-hmm. I really enjoy editing videos together I think you can be so creative with your backgrounds and your transitions and I, I think in May I downloaded TikTok and I was like, I love transitions. I love everything about like the video editing in this app. I want to put similar things into my videos. So mm-hmm. I'm hoping that this year my videos will get even better and hopefully more covers will come your way and hopefully some originals as well in video form. So Fantastic. that's the aim. But yeah, I, wouldn't have, aim. I wouldn't have spent as much yeah. time. Uh, and on, where does on all this, it. Look, te- I mean, it all started from somewhere, the technical knowledge, if you like. So where, where did you go to, to get all that? Did, were you at college? Were you at an academy? Yeah, so um, I went to a musical theatre kind of, well, a creative college in Birmingham. So I went to um, Birmingham Ormiston Academy. Yeah, and um, I did music there and that was kind of like my passion. I've always been like very musically inclined and driven. From like a young age, I was like, I want to play every instrument so I can play quite a few (laughs) instruments as well. But I really knew that music was my passion from the off. Um, and I was really lucky that my family really supported that and they were like yeah we'll, we'll, we'll support everything you do go to college for it go to university for it so I went to college and then I went to Falmouth University which is in Cornwall mm. that's where I'm at my drummer oh, yeah, Jacob. Yeah. and uh, yeah I, I did a degree in popular music and I had the best time it taught me a lot of the stuff that I use now and um, yeah it kind of gave me my first foot into the music industry because a lot of the stuff that they teach down there is real world stuff so when I went on tour in 2017 as part of that module they threw us in they went we're not giving you a budget we just just go go out book your tour you've got two months to, to do the whole thing and come back to Cornwall so yeah it was very real world <laughs> but it taught me a lot and I'm so glad I did did go to Falmouth and they gave me that opportunity because I wouldn't have a clue what I was doing without it. <laughs> wow so Eliza mate only me between me and you now how was Australia? <laughs> 
think that's what I'd have done. <laughs> see ya, I'll see you in yeah. two months. <laughs> <laughs> what a fantastic experience. Oh, that was really good. And that was a, that was Falmouth College that did that. Falmouth University. University, beg your pardon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. For them to just say, go on, two months. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. such an amazing well, experience. So fair dues. And yeah. did you do like um, the whole of, you know, did you go around Britain or was it just around England or what yeah, did you so do? The module, was two, <laughs> the module was two months, but the actual tour, um, like week, we had a week to do it basically yeah. to mm-hmm. actually be on the tour, but we had two months to plan it and do the tour. So uh, we went to London, Brighton, Winchester, Hereford, Birmingham, and then we finished back in Cornwall. So wow. It was quite good. <laughs> like a kind of half circle, rounds. Yeah, we saved a lot of money doing it that way. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good to be fair. Yeah. Yeah. And how was the audiences? Um, you know, did, did they respond to you really well? And did you get a good feedback and stuff? Yeah. So it was just very interesting playing in so many different places because when you play in one place like Birmingham, for example, mm-hmm. you're used to the people there. You're used to like the reaction you're probably going to get. You can probably connect with people a little bit easier because you're all from Birmingham. Yeah. Um, might, but it was see, really nice to connect. You might see your aunt in the people. audience as well, Martin. Yeah, you're beautiful. Oh, yeah, you're my mum. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. Like, go on, Lord, when you're on your own, <laughs> when you're on your own, though. Yeah, it's a very different story. And you're in reactions because they don't know you. So it was really nice. A lot of people were really lovely and supportive and genuinely enjoyed our music. And I don't think there was a single gig where people didn't. But I remember the turnout is very different. <laughs> Because yeah. so in Brighton, that was the first date, and I knew a few people in Brighton, and they all came to my gig. Um, but there were it was quite an empty room compared to like going to play a Birmingham show, for example. Um, and because of that, I was like, this is very intimate acoustic, we'll start off the tour really chill. <laughs> but by the end of it, we were playing like a packed out room in wow. Birmingham, so it was it was Fantastic. a great tour. <laughs> so it was kind of like very um very different kind of audiences but all all good experience wow that's fantastic yeah, definitely so really taught me some stuff yeah I bet wow I want to go on tour with you come on let's go you're more than welcome <laughs> <laughs> so you've got the EP coming out soon hopefully fingers crossed, yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> have you got a name for it or anything yet I'm not gonna say what it is yet oh. but it's one of the names of the tracks so there's five tracks I've actually played all of them acoustically on my live streams in the last year so if you watch every Whoa, single one of my live streams you you'll be able to figure it out but... yeah we can have a competition <laughs> oh yeah first person who gets the name can That's it, have yeah. a signed cd of my last my have last been, <laughs> have you enjoyed collabing with others to get that sorted out you know because you've got you'll have to have some artwork or you'll have to have some photography and you've got the video oh, yeah. to and stuff like that so anybody <laughs> in particular that you want to shout out at the moment who's really helped push this forward I mean no one's been able to work on me work on the project with me yet on that standard but I'd have the go-to people so um if you go through my Instagram a lot of the photos before lockdown were from a photographer called Holly Braley yeah um she's actually my best friend and she went to Falmouth Uni with me um but her photography is actually incredible like mm. I've never seen anything better like she's even though she's my best friend the quality is so high quality and our photo shoots don't last that long and she manages to get such incredible shots of me I'm just so grateful to know her so if you want to follow her it's she sounds like a good best friend to me that sounds she's incredible <laughs> like I, before I even knew she did photography I was like I really like this person and then the yeah. fact that she's incredible with her ideas of photography and even when she's not shooting for my stuff her mm. work is just stunning so definitely check her out what what was her name again holly Braley. so on instagram you can find her at brails.s brails okay so talking to social media that's that's obviously been a new kind of lock in your day not lock because with me it was flyers and it was word of mouth advertising putting notices on pin boards but social media has really kind of catapulted young artists into the limelight and been able to connect a lot better with their their fans and their um, followers. So how have you found social media over lockdown? Have you found that a blessing or a curse? <laughs> I think overall it's been a blessing, yeah. but I think it does, it's kind of like a double edged sword. Mm. There's pros to it and there's cons to it. And I'm quite lucky that I've only seen a lot of the pros, but I kind of market myself as like a genuine person. So mm-hmm. what and you, you get on social media, Oh, thank you. Okay. <laughs> what you get on social media is is what I am like in real life. So I try not to kind of sugarcoat too much. And 
if I'm having a bad day I probably won't be on on social media but yeah. if I'm having a really good day and I want to share what I'm doing I'll be posting and I really enjoy kind of seeing people's feedback on what I'm doing and their interactions because without them I kind of wouldn't have a platform at all and I wouldn't be able to get my music out there to as many people like the whole point of me being a musician is to you know spread my music with other people and see what makes them happy so yeah, if I can make myself and them happy through music and my posts and everything else I'm doing then I'm really happy with that Oh, that's fantastic. We really look forward to that EP coming out very soon, hopefully. Um, well, mid- <laughs> crossed, yeah. Well, middle of February is the end, well, the review, next review of lockdown. But at least this lockdown, we've got the um, the vaccine to kind of like give us a bit of focus because in the lockdown before, we didn't have anything, did we? We just had, you know, and no. it was summer, so it was a bit easier because it was warmer and lighter and everything. But this time, that is the only thing that's giving me a little bit of, a hope is the fact that we've got a vaccine at the end of it so fingers crossed yeah, um fingers crossed, yeah. <laughs> and then we'll be able to get back out into playing live gigs and stuff well one last question yeah. actually um <clears throat> obviously you're a, a live artist by heart and you love to do live uh, performances and you know how do you see us being able to go back to that after this lockdown or what do you think what do you think the changes are going to be so I think that we will get back to live music eventually because obviously in the past when there's been any kind of virus or anything like that we've had a vaccine and then things have kind of returned back to normal but I do think as well that the live streams that we've been doing will play a big part in the future of music and I think that as well as people busking might busking might you know become a little bit more popular because yeah. how I actually started off as being a busker so at the age of 17 I was busking the streets of New Street just before I went to uh, to uni um, and I've been doing music forever but busking is like a real soft spot in my heart because I've had the best experiences and it really built my confidence um, but I think that's going to be a much easier way of performing to people and it's socially distanced so True. I think that will kind of kind of boost up but I think the live streams will also be a popular one because if people can't get out of the house still and you know if they haven't had the vaccine yet or mm-hmm. you know no, no matter the circumstance it's nice to be able to perform to other people that may not have ever had the chance or you know might not want to leave the house and they have an option now to get to gigs in a virtual way which is amazing and oh, then you can also yeah. have live gigs again so yeah. I think a good way to do it would be live streaming and a real gig in real time yeah. and then it being you know access to everyone I think that's the dream. It's given me a brilliant idea. So we've had lockdown and live. How about New Street having a busker outside every couple of shops so that people can walk around Birmingham City and stand in front of whatever performer that they want to hear? You know, just to get that... um, That would be amazing. That would be amazing. Oh, it'd be so nice. Because as as a participant in the audience, I miss... I kind of miss getting squashed when there's a gig and, you know, the kind of like camaraderie of going to see an artist or a band that you all love, seeing familiar faces in the crowd, you know what I mean? So it's kind of like, I miss all that and want a bit of that back, even if it's socially distant. I mean, the gig that I went to in the middle was socially distant and it did, there was only, there was a lot smaller amount of people there and we're all sat down at tables. Now, getting on in age a little bit, I didn't mind the sitting down bit because standing <laughs> up for like three hours is starting to take its toll on my knees. So that was nice. <laughs> but I did miss the kind of standing next to your mates or, you know, your part, you know, your family, just watching a gig. So fingers crossed. Fingers yeah, crossed. Yeah, I really hope so. I, I miss know, it so much. I know. I know. We're all going to be crying by the end of this. Like, we want our gigs back. Well, Eliza, mate, it's such a pleasure and, and such so nice speaking to you today. I wish you all the very best with your LP. And what do you, what, do you want to leave your, your followers and your listeners and your fans um, with any kind of snippet that scoop you can give us here at Switch? Come on. <laughs> oh, like a little, a little. A little tea song, shall we say? Oh, yes, that'd be fantastic. Oh, I'm okay. Glad. So <laughs> the guitar is at the ready. Oh. So this song is this song is um, one of my favourite songs off the EP. It's very chilled out. It's a little bit different to my last EP, um, but this song is called Candy Heart. So I hope oh. you enjoy. <laughs> Baby, 
closer to another Maybe I'll feel whole again Wrapped around your fingertips until the very end So if I surrender, you'll come back to a phone Keep me up right up on the Oh, it's really been so long since I could trust it all No, don't fact, there's nothing we can do I'll be right there, I know you need me to this is what we call a jump into the fog. Sugar sweet is what you are. Quite so holy to my heart. Teach me how to break a candy heart. Melt me down, I'm peace, I'll be finished to Oh, that was fabulous. Thank you so much. That was great. And I must Thank say, as well, as well as being a fantastic artist, you've got a fantastic voice. It's so, so nice. So good. Thank um, you. As well, it's just, you're such a, a positive looking person. This big smile as well. It's just amazing. So keep that there, Eliza May. And we look forward to seeing a lot more of you in 2021 and years to come. So thank you so much. Coming to a stage near you guys, hopefully. Fingers <laughs> yeah. crossed after COVID. <laughs> and we're going back to Ben in the studio. So see you next time. The week with Ben Ellis. This is Switch. We very much hope you've enjoyed listening to our podcast. We will do it all again for you next week. But first of all, we have to do the radio show between 12 and 2 this Sunday across Birmingham on Switch Radio on FM 107.5, online switchradio.co.uk. And you can get us on your smart speaker as well as DAB and mobile too. Our thanks to our guests on the week here from Switch Radio, Steve McCabe, the Labour MP for Selly Oak, joined us to talk about uh, all things lockdown, how the government are handling uh, the latest situation with the pandemic and what the plans are from the government to help the homeless, particularly uh, during these winter months during lockdown. Fascinating discussion. To Rich Payne, who joined us all the way from Pennsylvania to talk about the events in Washington this past week and what next indeed for Donald Trump as that news gathers pace almost daily. And just there we heard Fiona Douglas chatting with the lovely Eliza May and uh, thanks to Eliza for playing for us as well. The week with me, Ben Ellis, here on Switch Radio. Thank you very much. The Week with Ben Ellis. This is Switch.